Father, as we look at your word tonight, God, we pray just for, Lord, your spirit to speak to us. Lord, as we just take the time to work our way through this rich book that has so many lessons in it for us, so many things that are so relatable to our lives. Lord, we pray, we ask, Lord, that your spirit tonight would be faithful to make your word come alive to us, to speak to our hearts. I pray that you would overlook mine inadequacies as a teacher, and Lord, that you would teach your people this night, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. We've seen here in our study of 1 Samuel where the people of Israel had made their request to the Lord that he would grant them a king, that he would make them a king like the other nations. And that's exactly what we see God is doing here. He's making a king for Israel just like the other nations. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Ebel, the son of Zeor, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, the first thing that we see here about Saul is that he was a man of power and a man of prestige. He came from a wealthy and powerful family among the tribes of Israel. And so right away, we see here that he has a likening to the kings of the other nations. He's a powerful man. He comes from this powerful family. His dad had the bucks. Now, it's interesting that in our country, even today, it's very, very, it would be very difficult for a normal, average guy to become our president. Because of the amount of money that it takes to enter into a campaign, a presidential campaign. I mean, it's, it's out of sight these days. And so even, you know, in our own country, the, the people who end up being those who go into power are those who are, are people of prestige, people of background, people of financial wealth. A second thing that we see about Saul is that he's a very handsome young man. In fact, it says there that he was not, there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. He was tall. In fact, he was taller than anyone else. He was the shack of Israel, if you would. I mean, he was just a, a great big guy, head and shoulders above the rest. You might say that with Saul, they had the total package. He was tall, he was dark, he was handsome, and he was rich. He was movie star material. Saul could have been the next Hollywood hunk. That's the kind of guy that he was. 
And as we'll see, that most of the nation, when he's presented to them, boy, they just think, man, what a great choice. What a great guy. I mean, he has the whole thing going. He was just what they wanted. He would be a king just like the other nations. The thing that's interesting about this description of Saul, one of the things that's missing in it is that there's nothing said about his relationship with the Lord. And there's nothing said because there was nothing to say. There was nothing to say about this man's relationship with God. And Saul reflected the spiritual state of the whole nation of Israel. You see, there may have been some spiritual image present, but the heart was far from where God wanted it to be. And that's what we find. That's what we see with this man, Saul. This will be one of the things that is his downfall. This will be one of the things that marks him in stark contrast to the, the man, the young man that David would, or that God would raise up later to be the king. And that man, of course, being David. We pick it up in verse three. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalsisha. But they did not find them. And then they passed through the land of Shalim and they were not there. And then they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. And when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Now, this gives us a little bit of insight into Saul's family life. You see, Saul came from a good home where he knew that a prolonged absence would cause his father to be weary, that he would worry about him. So after some days of searching for these donkeys, he's like, you know, we better get back home because, you know, I don't, I don't want my dad to worry. And that's a good sign here. It shows that there was a sense of, of a loving atmosphere, a loving relationship in this home that Saul knew that his dad would be concerned. I find it interesting and sometimes I'm amazed at how some parents just, they'll, they'll let their kids just run amok. They'll just let them go and they have no idea where they're at. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just kind of, you know, out there. Well, that wasn't the case here with Saul. He had a father who cared about him. And, you know, if you have a good home, if you have loving parents who care about you, that is such a blessing. That is something to be cherished. And that's something that, that all of us here who are parents need to really look to the Lord in, in our hearts that we would provide in that type of environment for our children, that they would know that they are loved, that they are cared for, that we are concerned about them. Saul had a good home life. He came from a good home. He had a good relationship with his father. Now, there's a possible misconception here, though, that I want to point out. In reading this story, we could get the idea that Saul was, you know, maybe a very young man. But Saul was living in that time when it was a patriarchal society, which meant that, that oftentimes the, the men would live there at home or they would live close by the home. They would get married and they might build a house right next door to mom and dad. And it was this close-knit type of, of society, and though Saul is still under his father, this wealthy man, he's on a mission for his father. 
And chances are that Saul was probably about the age of about 37 years old at this time. And we see that he was no mere young man by the fact that when he becomes the king of Israel, he, the first thing he does is he, he raises up an army. Some 2,000 men are gathered under his care and another 1,000 under the care or the leadership of his son Jonathan, who was probably about 20 years old at this particular time. So Saul's out here on this mission. He's looking for his father's donkey. And then we see what happens. Verse 6. And he said to him, look now, there is a city and a man of God. And he is an honorable man. And all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here or at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver, and I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, for the, the one who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And then Saul said to the servant, Well done, come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. Saul was worried here that, that he as the custom was in Israel, that he wouldn't have an honorarium, some gift to give to the prophet when he came and approached him. But his servant has, you know, a small shekel, a small coin that they're going to be able to give to Samuel. And so they're going to go now to this city where they heard that Samuel was and to inquire of him that he might give them some guidance concerning these donkeys. We pick it up in verse 11. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. And afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. And so they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him as commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Why did the Lord, I like that phrase that we read there concerning Samuel, that the Lord spoke in his ear. Why did the Lord speak in the ear of Samuel? Well, we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 21, that it says, and Samuel heard of all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. What Samuel heard the people saying, their cries, he took that and repeated it to the Lord. And there's a lesson here for us. You see, those who speak 
to the Lord intimately and frequently will be those who have the Lord speaking to them. We need to be a people who are developing a sensitivity to the voice of the Lord. That still small voice of God's Spirit speaking there to our hearts. Remember Elijah? When Elijah had his great triumph upon the Mount uh, Carmel against the 450 prophets of Baal. And after that, he has this great triumph, this great victory. He gets word that Queen Jezebel is, is, wants his head. She's out to get him. And so in panic, in fear, in total just you know, not trusting the Lord, he hightails it out into the desert. He's heading towards the mountains. He's wanting to die. He's wanting God to just kill him. He's so distraught. He thinks he's the last prophet left in Israel. And, and, and God meets him to tell him that, that that's not true. That there's a whole bunch more that haven't bowed their knee to the prophet Baal. But as, as Elijah goes there into the, the mountain country, he goes up into this area where he is there hiding in this cave. And it's there that we read in the the story that there's a a mighty rushing wind. The place starts to just blow. But then it says, but God wasn't in the wind. And then it says that there was this earthquake. The place began to shake, but that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. But then it says that the Lord spoke to Elijah. Elijah in a still, small voice. And I I find that story so interesting because I think for so many of us, our lives at times can get filled with mighty winds that come blowing into our lives, and right away we're thinking, oh, this must be God. Or things start to shake, and right away we, we start thinking, okay, you know, what is God trying to say? And, or, or there's a, things start to heat up in our lives, and right away we start thinking, okay, God's trying to, to get my attention. Or God's trying to tell me something here. And we sometimes have this tendency to look to our circumstances, and oftentimes our circumstances are just the everyday things of life. Things that happen. That maybe you get a fender bender, or somebody backs into your car. Or, like happened a few weeks ago, we had an earthquake. We were over in the office across the alleyway, and I was tied up, and all of a sudden the building starts to to shake, and I come out of my office, and everybody in that office is they're they're all gone. It's like, man, did the rapture happen? And and I go walking outside, and, you know, there's great big Phil McKay, you know. And he's outside. He's scared because it was an earthquake, you know. It's like, what's up, Phil? What's going on, you know? He's my hero. And, and uh, you know, the, the ex-Marine, you know. And, but, uh, you know, sometimes we, things start to shake in our lives, and we start thinking, you know, man, what, what's going on? And this is the, the, the Lord. But there we see with Elijah. That God spoke to him in that still, small voice. And that tells me something about Elijah. It tells me that this guy must have spent a lot of time alone with the Lord. Out there sitting and just 
getting away at a quiet time and a quiet spot to just to sit with the Lord, to hear from the Lord, because he's able to distinguish the voice of the Lord from everything else happening around him. That still small voice. Samuel was one, as we've seen here in our text, he was one who took the time to wait upon the Lord. And so when God came to speak to Samuel in his ear, he was tuned in. He was tuned in to that voice of God, that still, small voice. We read of Peter there in Acts chapter 10 in the city of Joppa. And he goes up on the rooftop, on the patio. They had their patios there on the rooftops. He goes up there at lunchtime to, to, to go to sleep. I think we talked about this a couple Sundays ago. And and it's there that he's on the rooftop and he gets this vision. He's on the rooftop and God speaks to him. Where was he, though? He was at a place, a quiet place, having a quiet time and a quiet heart before the Lord. And that so often is where we develop that tendency to be tuned into that small voice, that still small voice of God the Lord. But you know what? That's not easy to do. It's not easy. It's not as easy as turning on the radio, putting on K-Wave. It's not as easy as grabbing the, you know, hottest new book off the press at the Christian bookstore. What does God want to say to me through this? What does God want to say to me today through, through Pastor Chuck? And those are great things. But sometimes I think we can sell ourselves short. Because we don't take that time to get away, to get alone. That quiet place to have that quiet time and that quiet heart where God can say, here's what I want to say to you. Having a sensitivity to develop that, that voice of the Lord, that sensitivity to his spirit in the ear. So we see here about Samuel, he now is expecting He hears this word from the Lord. And what a rich thing it is when you hear God speak to you in that way. That still small voice, that voice of the Spirit in your heart or in your ear. That that suddenly there is an expectation that you live with that, hey, God is speaking. Now, Samuel's expecting the next day, I'm going to meet the next leader of Israel. I'm going to meet the next king. Because the Lord had told him. Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him as commander over my people Israel, that he may serve my people from the, from the, or save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Developing that type of tuned-in heart and ear to the Lord, it'll cost you time. Time well spent, though, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, I think that this story is interesting, though, because it also shows us how God often works through very common and natural ways in our lives to lead us. Here we see Saul is about to have a life changing experience, but it all starts with he's just out looking for some donkeys. And it was probably a very frustrating experience for him. I mean, he's out and man, it's like, you know, he, dad says, man, the donkey's got away. You got to go get him. He says, stop whatever he's doing. And it's like, man, what a bummer. I got to go find these donkeys. 
It might have been an irritating situation for him as he's out, you know, scouring the countryside looking for him. Spending all this time looking for these donkeys. But it's here. The issue, the real story, isn't these lost donkeys. The real story is God's means to bring this man, Saul, into the pathway of God's man, the prophet, so that Saul might be anointed as God's king, as Israel's king. The new leader there in the land. And I think God oftentimes works in very natural ways in our lives. Sometimes we think that the only way that God's going to work is if, you know, we have a a trance-like experience or if we fast for 40 days, you know, then he's going to lead me. When oftentimes God leads by just impressing things upon your heart. He just kind of, you know, gives you an idea perhaps or just you think, you know what, maybe it's something as simple. I think I'm going to go surfing today and you cruise down to the beach. You're going to go catch some waves, but you end up meeting somebody there. Somebody that you haven't seen in a while or somebody that God wants you to talk to. And it ends up being a divine appointment that God wanted you there at that particular time. And you didn't pray about it. You didn't think about it. It was just, you know, man, I feel like surfing. I got the day off. I'm going to head down to the beach. And lo and behold, that's what he does. He has this plan. The Bible declares that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his ways. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What a great thing that is, that you can wake up tomorrow and and believe in your heart according to the word of God. My steps today are ordered by the Lord. And I'm going to go to work and I'm going to go about and do my job and and I'm going to do, you know, what God has laid out for me to do, you know, in my profession at this particular place. And to know your steps are ordered by the Lord. And God might have for you tomorrow a divine appointment. He puts somebody right in your path that he wants you to minister to. The Bible says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will do that. And so we see the Lord leading Saul in a very natural way. Something that he thought was was mundane, yet God was leading him all the way through this situation to bring him into this pathway where he would run into Samuel. We pick it up in verse 17. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there is he, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where the seer's house is. Now, this blesses me. Here we see that although Samuel was the prophet, there was nothing that made him stand out. Samuel wasn't cruising around town wearing his I'm the prophet of God badge, you know. He wasn't cruising around with this, you know, attitude. He wasn't cruising around with, you know, this, thus says the Lord, you know, kind of voice. He wasn't doing that. He just seemed like a normal, ordinary guy. So much so that that Saul doesn't even reckon. He doesn't even stand out. And this blesses me because you know what it tells me? It tells me that God's mouthpieces can be just ordinary people. Just ordinary people. 
people like you and me. Last night, my family, we were watching a little television and we flicked on one of the, it was the Christian station and there was some preacher on there that was just sweating and yelling and, and, and my kids have never seen that before. And, and, and they, they were just like, what is this? My daughter's like laughing, like, is this for real, you know? Is this for real? And Denise says, could you picture your dad doing that? You know, and, and but, but so often, you know, that, that sometimes is the persona that people have about, you know, if, if you're going to be somebody that God uses, you got to talk with a certain kind of voice and you got to, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I love this. It blesses me. Samuel doesn't stand out. It's not like, you know, they're cruising in and going, oh, I bet you that's the guy. He's glowing, you know. No. They, have, they come, hey, do you know where the, the prophet is? Well, I'm the prophet. It's like, nah, you know. I've had people that I've met. In fact, this happened to me just recently. And I, oh, so you're a pastor, huh? In fact, there was, it was, this was a crack up. One Sunday... After second service, in between second and third, I'm out in the, the lobby or whatever we call it out there. And somebody had brought some friends of theirs to the church. And, um, of course, you know, they didn't look like they fit in. They were a lot more dressed up than most of us usually are. And uh, they were more dressed up than me. And um, so this, this gal introduced me to her friends. And they're like, oh, you know. And then the, what they said is, so, so, so you're the youth pastor here, right? <laughs> they're like looking at me, you know, like, you must be the youth pastor. You know, you can't be the pastor. And, and so often, you know, it's like the, these preconceived ideas. And I love this, Samuel. And I'm spending way too much time on this. But God uses ordinary people. Verse 19, Samuel answered Saul. And said, I am the seer, I am the prophet. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go, and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? Now, this was probably said to assure Saul that Samuel was indeed the prophet that he was looking for. Notice, Saul doesn't say anything about any lost donkeys. But Samuel says, the donkeys that you're looking for, hey, they've been found. They've been found. Now, this is also a scary thing that Samuel says. He says to Saul, I'm going to tell you all that is in your heart. Wow. How would you like for somebody to, to say that to you, you know? Meet me later on. I'm going to tell you everything that is in your heart. It's like, oh, man, I better go pray, you know. <laughs> I better go confess, you know. <laughs> it's a scary thing. But, but Samuel makes this statement here to Saul that, that on whom is all the desire of Israel. Basically, what he's saying to Saul is this. Hey, Israel, they're desiring a king. You're the one. You are the one that they are desiring. But notice verse 21, Paul's response. He says, am I not a Benjamite, 
of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Why are you saying this to me, Saul's saying? And here we see a good characteristic in Saul's life. He's humble. He's humble. He's taken back by this. He's like, what are you talking about? Me? I'm the desire. I'm the one that Israel is looking for. He's genuinely taken back by what Saul is saying here. And I think that this is one of the reasons why God did choose Saul. Is he was humble. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible tells us that if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. He'll tear you down. I am so blessed by the people who genuinely think that they're not ready for a task. You know, I love here in the fellowship to go up to different people that maybe God has impressed upon my heart. And I'll say this to them. You know what? Hey, Bob, I want you to pray about getting involved in this particular ministry. I want you to pray about this. We have this need. I think you'd be just a great guy for this. And I'm, I'm always just taking, I, I love it when, when somebody kind of looks at me like, you got to be crazy. Me? Nah. I don't think so. Or I'll, I'll, or, or I'll pray about it, but I, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I just can't see myself doing that. Oh, that blesses me. That blesses me, that heart that is just like, you know, gosh, I, I, I don't think I could, God could use me in that type of way. But on the other hand, I'm blessed by that, but I am equally repulsed. And this has happened a few times. By those that I might ask something, to pray about something, and they'll say something like this. I've been wondering when you were going to ask me to get involved in that. I've been wondering, you know, when you were going to get around to seeing my potential, you know, kind of thing. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, right away I walk away going, Lord, I, I think I was hearing you wrong on that one, you know. That heart, that, that pride, that, that sense of, of confidence in the flesh. Saul's problem. Saul has this humility, but his problem is going to be is that it's short-lived. The Bible also says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's what we're going to see in Saul's life. But the person who is not confident in his flesh, listen, that will be a person who is radically confident in God. And that's such a great thing. Verse 22. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. And so the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat. For until this time, it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited 
the people. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. Now, Samuel holds this feast up here on the high place, the place of sacrifice. And he keeps this special choice portion of the meat, the thigh and the shoulder connected to it. And this was a distinct honor that Samuel was presenting here to Saul by holding back this piece of meat for him. And it's interesting that Samuel would give to Saul this piece of meat, the thigh and the shoulder. Because you see, it speaks. These are two pieces of of meat, that shoulder. It speaks of strength. And Saul was strong. He was a strong man. He was a strong individual. But notice that he doesn't give to Saul the breast, the heart. Because that's what was lacking in Saul. Heart. He didn't have that heart for the Lord. He didn't have that heart of the Lord. And when God gets to that point later on in our story where now he's going to pick his own king. The type of king, the type of man that he would pick. Not the type of guy that that would be like the kings of the other nations. What does he say about him? He will be a man after my own heart. David, by and large, as an individual, no one would look at him as a man of strength. You know the story with Goliath. He laughs like, who's this little kid coming out here? But he had the heart. And that always is the issue. That always is the point. That is always the thrust. It's always the key thing with the Lord that he's looking for. When he's looking for those who are going to to serve him, that those who are going to honor him, those that he wants to take and put into positions of, of being his vessels, first and foremost, before he looks at talent, before he looks at ability, before he looks at gifting, he looks at heart and the character that goes with that. And this is going to be an area where Saul is lacking. Verse 25. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. Now, this is that patio area that they had there on the rooftop, that flat rooftop area. So they go up there for a little meeting. And they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul On the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And they were going or as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. I wish that we could be here, be a bug on the wall in the midst of this conversation. As Samuel begins to declare to Saul what the Lord has for him. And no doubt Samuel told Saul about Israel's desire for a king. And how Israel, if he was going to be their king, that he needed to be a good king. And I can just imagine Samuel saying something like this to Saul, that, you know, you've got a lot going for you. You've got a lot going for you. You have, you know, the image and you're a humble guy and you've got you'll have the support of the people. But then warning him and saying something to this effect that that if, though, your heart is not for the Lord. 
it isn't going to matter anything. You know, Queen Victoria reigned over Great Britain for 64 years. But when she was 11 years old, her governess showed her a list of the kings and queens of England with her name added at the end. When she understood what that meant, she burst into tears. She was overwhelmed by the prospects of her name being added to that list and her being a part of that group. It overwhelmed her and she began to cry. But then she composed herself and she said, I will be a good queen. Well, Samuel here, was, in a sense, was giving Saul the opportunity to see the magnitude of what God was calling him to. And then for him as well to, in a sense, say, I will be a good king. I'll be a good king. Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So this anointing with oil here we see is this symbolic gesture. Because God had anointed Saul to be the king, the captain over Israel. The anointing was not really accomplished by Samuel pouring the oil over him, but the pouring of the oil over Samuel really was the confirmation of this anointing of the spirit that God was going to be placing upon Saul's life. And oil in the Bible, that anointing with the oil that they would anoint the priest. Jesus being anointed with the oil, it, it's symbolic of that anointing of the Holy Spirit. But this anointing of the oil wasn't what accomplished his anointing, but it was just the confirmation of it in much the same way that we do here in the fellowship when we will ordain somebody to become a pastor. It makes them, quote unquote, official so that they can do weddings now and do funerals and, you know, that type of thing. But that that ordination that we give them and the pastors will gather around them, will lay hands on them, will pray for them is only the confirmation that we are saying we see the anointing of God upon your life. We see that God has called you to serve his people here at Calvary Chapel Vista. That he has called you into the ministry. And so that laying upon of the hands is just the confirmation of what we already see God doing in their lives. And how he's using them. And we never ever ordain somebody in hopes that they're going to quote unquote become a pastor. But we always ordain somebody that we are, are seeing and we've seen that. Yeah, man, that guy, he, he's a servant. That's what a pastor is. He's a minister. He's a servant. He's an underroar. He's a he's a shepherd. Look at how he seeks to take care of God's people. And so that ordination, that laying upon of the hands is just the confirmation of the fact that we see the Lord working in their lives. And so that's what's happening here. But I want you to note again the phrase that the Lord has anointed you the commander over his inheritance. Samuel reminds Saul that Israel belongs to the Lord. And this is such a great thing. That they are God's inheritance. At the same time, Saul is going to have an important job to do because God has placed him as the commander over his inheritance. But it's God's inheritance. Israel belongs to the Lord. Now you and I, this relates to us, this correlates to us. Because you see, what God was saying to, to Saul is this. Saul, you're going to be my steward. 
and this is my inheritance, and I'm going to put you over it. God says the same thing to you and I. He says the same thing to you and I, that you and I are his stewards. He tells us in Luke's gospel to do business until he comes. To be about the business of the kingdom, to be that faithful steward, that faithful servant whose master placed in his hands his treasure. And he's to take care of it until his master returns. That's what God has done with us. What are you a steward of? Well, first of all, you're a steward of your family, of your family. They're God's inheritance. They belong to the Lord. You're also a steward of a ministry that maybe God has placed you in or maybe one that you oversee. And you're a steward of that. It's God's inheritance, but he's placed it in your hands to lead it. You're a steward over people that God has placed in your sphere of influence, in your pathway. You're a steward over his inheritance. Saul should have tried. After this, his heart should have been, I want to be the best steward. I want to be the best king that I can possibly be to take care of God's inheritance. Because these people that he's placing me over, they belong to the Lord. And that should also be true. That should be the heart of every Sunday school teacher here tonight. That should be the heart of every youth leader and counselor in our congregation. That should be the heart of every teacher at Calvary Chapel Christian School. Hey, I'm a steward over God's inheritance. That should be the heart of every home group leader here in the congregation. That that God has made you a steward over His inheritance, His people. That should be the heart of every pastor in our fellowship. Stewards over God's inheritance. I love that phrase. We pick it up in verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zalzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? And then you shall go on forward from there and come to the Terebeth tree in Tabor. And there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen that when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine and a flute and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. And then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And it shall be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands. For God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you should do 
And so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came there to the hill, there was the group of the prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened that when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And what they're meaning by this is, is where did this originate from? Is this, is this really from the Lord? And then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Who is their originator? Therefore, it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Now here we see that there's three things that God does in Saul's life here to solidify this calling on his life to be the king. And I think that these are three things that the Lord also does in our lives when he's calling us into particular areas of ministry, particular areas where he wants us to get involved in service. First of all, he's given a sign. He meets these guys that are carrying the bread and the wine. He meets these guys, and then he also is given another sign as a confirmation as he meets the, the, these prophets. And I think that when God begins to stir your heart concerning something that he's calling you to do, one of the things that he will do is he'll confirm it. And he's going to find a way in which he's going to confirm that calling upon your life. He's going to bring you into a situation. I remember for me, when God called me into the ministry, way back when I was at Calvary Costa Mesa, one of the things that God did to confirm to me that, that this was indeed what he was calling me to was Brian Broderson, who was then the uh, junior high pastor at, at Costa Mesa. Brian comes up to me one day and he just says, hey, I'm doing this Bible study out at, at University High School and I can't do it anymore. You want to do it? And I was like, well, I've never taught a Bible study before, but, you know, let me pray about it. And I felt like God said, yeah, go for it. And, and uh, so I went out there and I, I, all I really did was I went out and kind of regurgitated my devotions, you know, that I had with the Lord. I went out and, you know, this is kind of what God showed me and, 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 and he blessed it. And this little Bible study at the school began to grow and they told some friends at Woodbridge High and they called me. And so now I'm going to two different schools. And what God showed me in all of this, and this really had been kind of a, 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 a trademark in my life personally of God's confirmation is that when God is, is leading me in something, it's usually easy. Easy in the sense that there's not a lot of strife involved. There's not a lot of striving involved in it. You see, prior to this, my whole life was about striving. Being an athlete, I always did well. I always made all-star teams. But you know what? I had to work harder than every other guy in order to make those teams. And my whole life, it was just so much striving involved. And suddenly, when, when, when God made it clear that he was calling me in, into ministry, suddenly, the, just doors started to open up. 
And there wasn't any striving. There wasn't trying to, you know, get into a position or get in the the eye of Pastor Chuck or anything like that. It was just God just started to open up doors and he started to lead and he started to bless. And, and, And I would kind of scratch my head and go, this is weird. This is too simple. And that has been something for me. Anytime I find myself in the ministry striving in something where I feel like I'm having to, to push a door open, I have to step back and go, wait a second, I don't think God's in this. Now, there is a point for like battling through prayer and things, and I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about that sense of in the energy of our flesh where we're trying to, to make things happen. And I think that, you know, there was a lot in my life prior to that where it was all that. It was all just in the energy of the flesh. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this team. I'm going to make this grade. I'm going to do this. And so there's that confirmation. Secondly, we see that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And this really is the, the reception or this reception of the Holy Spirit coming upon his life was Saul's real anointing. And that will always be the case. When God is calling you into a particular area of ministry, note this, you will know because you will sense that anointing of God's spirit upon your life to do that task that he's called you to do. And you might look at it like, man, it's above me. It's beyond me. I can't do this. But God will meet you. He will enable you. And you'll sense it in a supernatural kind of way. His leading and his direction that he's empowering you in that particular task. And you'll be able to step back on days and just kind of go, man, that was so the Lord. That was so God. And the third thing that we see is that he was given a new heart. He was given a new heart. It even declares that he was turned into another man. And I believe this too is a mark of, that the Lord puts upon someone that he's calling him into a, a particular area of ministry. And I would apply it in this way, that God's going to give you a heart for that ministry. You know, Chuck has said it well when he has declared, you know, if God's going to call you to Africa, you're going to just fall in love with bugs, you know. You're just going to like bugs and snakes and, you know, that type of thing. And if God's calling you, for instance, into the, the children's ministry or to be a part of the, the Calvary Clubhouse, you know, what God's going to do is, is you're going to find yourself when you're, you know, out at the mall or out at the park or down at the beach or walking in the halls and you're walking by, you know, some little ones that all of a sudden there's just going to be the stirring in your heart where you're like, oh man, like you just, you sense something. Don't ignore that. That's God's work, God working on your heart to lead you into a particular area. And with that new heart, I think also comes a heart of confidence. A sense of like, hey, God's calling me to this. God was changing Saul's heart here in a radical way. In a radical way. We pick it up in verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And so he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said to him, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you? And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him. 
what Samuel had said. And then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And there in verse 16, just a quick little comment, we see again the, the humility of Saul. You know, he's not going to say, you know what, yeah, he, he told me I'm going to be the next king. No, he, he, he's, he's holding that in. He's being wise here. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. Now he's reminding them here of God's faithfulness in their lives, just as he did earlier. But you have today have rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now here, what God is doing is he's giving into what we would call not his perfect will, but his permissive will. You guys are rejecting me. I'm the best king that you could ever have. But you want a king like the other nations? Okay, I'm going to do that. We talked about this at great length in our study a couple weeks ago, how God will sometimes bring himself down to our level. Just like he did with the children of Israel. He, he gave the request for meat, but he brought leanness to their souls. And God will do that. And here we see he's reminding them of that, his permissive will. Verse 20, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near to the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Now, what they're doing here is they're casting lots. And in the casting of lots, God is going to single out, first of all, the tribe of Benjamin. Secondly, we see in verse 21, the, the family of Kish. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by the families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is hidden among the equipment. And so they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Here we see God singles out Saul, but Saul's nowhere to be found. And this is really the first sign of weakness in Saul's character. He's hiding from God's call. Now, you might think, wait a minute, isn't this another sign of his humility? I don't think so. You see, when God has called you to a task, when God has called you to a mission, for you to try and, and hide from that call is not a sign of humility. It's a sign of folly. It's a sign of weakness. And God had put it out there. Saul, you're the guy. He was anointed. He was empowered. He prophesied. It was time now for him to rise to the occasion. And instead, he's hiding. And this is this first sign of weakness in Saul that will continue to plague him. It will continue to plague him, his response to the call of God. Later on, we'll see where God tells him to go in and deal with Agag and all of his people, and to kill the king and get rid of the people, and he brings Agag back as a trophy. Why? He's not responding to the call of God. Saul's getting off to a bad start here. Charles Spurgeon wrote in a sermon using this passage. He called it hiding among the stuff. He says in it, he shows how both believers, or in it, he shows how both believers and unbelievers can be hidden among the equipment 
avoiding the crown that God has for them. The unbeliever, he hides among the stuff, avoiding the crown of salvation that God wants to give him through Jesus Christ. But we as Christians can also, we can hide amongst the stuff, avoiding the crowns that God has for us. A crown in ministry, a crown that comes along with suffering. And we're hiding from that. We can be just like Saul. Let's wrap it up. Verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. I think there was some sarcasm in his voice when he said that. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. And then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. How their kings, he's reiterating what we looked at, I think it was in chapter 8, how their kings would abuse them. How he would take, take, and take. And he wrote it in a book and he laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? And so they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Here we see one more advantage that God gives to Saul. Not only is he big and handsome, not only is he the son of a caring father, not only is he humble in his beginnings, not only is he endowed with spiritual gifts, but he's surrounded by men, and I love this phrase, whose hearts the Lord had touched. I want to be surrounded by those kind of men. Men whose hearts the Lord had touched. He's getting off to a good start here. But notice also this last phrase in the chapter. It says that there was this group of people, some rebels, who were questioning. How can this man save us? And they despised him and they brought him no presents. And when it says here, but he held his peace, the indication is this. Saul heard it, but he didn't respond to it. He heard it, but he didn't respond to it. And the sense that I get is, as I look at Saul's life, is he heard it. He didn't respond to it, but it hurt him. You see, this is going to be one of his major downfalls, as we will see. Saul is way too concerned about what people think about him. He's way too concerned about how he's perceived in the eyes of the people. And it starts right here, instead of just... Standing strong in the sense that this is what God has called me to. We see this sense in his life that that will plague him the rest of his days. When the people start, you know, rejoicing in the, the, the victory that God gives to Israel through his son, Jonathan. What does Saul do? He takes the credit. When God raises up David to be a mighty, valiant warrior and and he leads the people out, the armies, and they come back and they say, you know, that Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Instead of rejoicing in what God was doing in David, Saul gets all worked up in his heart because he's not being perceived by the people the way that he wants to be. And this would be a major downfall in his life a major area of stumbling in his life 
And so we see here the beginnings. God propping Saul up. Giving him everything that he needs to be God's man. But unfortunately, it'll be short-lived. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we see here in this story that what you have, what you gave to Saul, Lord, you give to us. Confirmation, anointing, changing of heart. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us tonight, that we would realize, that we would understand that in some way, shape, or form, you have made each one of us a steward over part of your inheritance. Lord, may we, through the power of your Spirit, seek, through your grace working in our lives, to be a good steward. Until you return. And Lord may we not. Be those. Men and women. Who would be so outwardly concerned. About what others think of us. But Lord we would be concerned. About the issues of the heart. And what you think of us. And Lord we rejoice tonight. That you work through. Ordinary people. That we can be your vessels and we can be your mouthpieces. And so, Lord, go before us this week that we might be just that. In this world that needs to hear of your love. In this world that needs to see your light. In this world that needs to hear a voice of righteousness stand and declare truth. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.